Good morning. Today's scripture reading will be coming from Revelations 21, verses 1 through 5. You can follow along behind me on the screen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth hath passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we've been taking uh, this season to look at the story of the world. Uh, that's kind of a, a big bite to do in, in one season, right? But we're taking four weeks to talk about the story of the world, the story of the world as the Bible tells it. And, and that can kind of be summed up in kind of four simple uh, steps, if you will. It's, it's maybe a bit overly simplistic, but just to kind of get a, a big picture arc of the history of the world, there's excuse me, creation, and then there's the fall, the fall of mankind. Man was created, excuse me, as a part of creation. Creation was created good, and man was put in creation. Everything was good, and then the fall happened. Mankind fell, mankind sinned, and then everything went to pot. And really, what we see right now, what we experience are the tensions of those two things. A, a world and man that was created good, by a good and holy creator God who then fell and disobeyed and not only disobeyed but really committed treason against God and has forever since that moment, since that moment, that terrible moment in the garden where Adam and Eve took that fruit and disobeyed the command of God, really since that moment, creation which was created good, man which was created good, has now fallen. And we have been in rebellion against our good and holy Father God. And everything that we see is that tension of both the creation and the fall warring together. Creation, all that you feel in your soul, don't you? That you were created for something better. You're created for something good. There's a, there's a measure as a man or a woman that you know intrinsically that you are made for, made to achieve, but you really can't quite get there. There's a, a happiness and a joy that you feel in your soul that you are made to enjoy, but you can't quite reach it, can you? It's sort of like a dream that you wake up from and you can't quite remember. It was a good dream. You ever had that moment where you wake up as a, a really good dream and, and you wake up and you realize, oh man, that was really good, but you can't quite get your head, your hand back around what it was that you woke up from? We're haunted by this sense of the good creation and also by the fall that is built into us that we never can quite make what we feel like we should make. We ever can't quite get to where we feel like we should be getting to. And for all the joy that we feel in this world with the loved ones around us and with the good things that God has given us in creation, it never quite can get to what it needs to be. 
The second taste of the donut is never as good as the first. Not only that, our, our lives are haunted by fear and by death. Our lives, some of us are haunted by things that things have been, things that people have done to us that have marred us and scarred us that we never can't quite recover from. We live in this tension between the creation and the fall, the good and all the rebellion that we are in the middle of in this world against God. Don't we f uniquely feel it now? On this rainy COVID end of 2020 year, day, don't you really feel it acutely? The promise of what could have been and actually where we live. But the, the story doesn't end there and that's the good news that we have. That there was the creation and the fall, the tension that we constantly live in, but God. Brian Weiler got to preach on that text last week. There's a preacher he and I both like and he said the whole gospel, the good news of what Jesus is about can be summed up in those two words alone. But God. Yes, we are created for good, and yes, we have fallen, but God has stepped in and through Christ has redeemed and has provided a way for redemption for every single human being, but God. And not only that, but this week we get to talk about the final part of that arc, creation, fall, redemption, and then it doesn't just end at redemption. It doesn't just end at the cross. It ends in restoration, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And that's actually all of our stories. It's not just the story of the world, it's the story of every single one of us. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. No matter who you are or where you come from, you find yourself as a part of that storyline. And that's why on this Christmas Sunday, this last Christmas before, this last Sunday before Christmas, Dale, on this Christmas Sunday, our text is Revelation 21, 1 through 5. And it may not seem like a Christmas text. You might have expected a, a different passage this morning on a, on a Christmas Sunday. But actually, there's no more Christmas text than this. Because the story that we've been talking about, the, the series that we've been in, we call it God Changes the Story. And it's at Christmas that that story begins to be changed, but that's not the end of the story. The, the baby in the manger is cute. But that's not the climax of the story. The baby in the manger is only good news, it's only helpful if this text is true. The cross is amazing, but that's not the climax of the story. The cross is only exciting and helpful and, and can stir our souls with joy if this text is true. You see, the first appearance of Jesus brought us redemption, but his second appearance or his second advent, his second coming is gonna bring restoration. If you have your Bible, if you haven't already turned there, you can look at Revelation 21, which is where the text that DJ read for us is from. While you're turning there, a quick kind of background of what's going on in this, the book. The book of Revelation is from a vision that God gave to the apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. And it came at a, a really crucial time in the history of the church. 
The, the church was a, a few decades old at this point and had, it had just exploded out of Jerusalem after Pentecost. Thousands upon thousands of people had placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord, not only in Jerusalem and not only in the, the area of Israel, but across the whole entire Roman Empire and beyond. It was changing the world. It was growing fast. And yet some of those now, this decades in, maybe six decades or so into the history of the church, some of these original churches, the, the church is still expanding in all these areas, but yet some of these original oldest churches are starting to experience a little bit of atrophy. They're getting a little bit off track. And part of that had been that they had experienced a little bit of pushback for the first time in the real pushback in the history of the church. Uh, some areas, some churches, some cities have started to experience some persecution and Jesus shows up to John in the Isle of Patmos to give him a vision and give him what he says is gonna be a hope for those believers who are getting ready to go through a really difficult time. You're starting to experience some trouble. You're starting to experience some struggle. You're starting to experience the, some pain because you're believers, but it's gonna be worse, but that's not the good news. The good news is I am the alpha and the omega, Jesus says. I am the beginning and the end. I have conquered sin and death and hell, and now he, sees, he tells us in our passage, and I am making all things new. And so I see how this is super applicable. Not only is this a great Christmas text, maybe a bit unusual, but I see how this is super applicable in our day and age, in our moment that we find ourselves in. That one of the last things that Jesus shows John in this amazing vision, and, and man, guys, let's be honest. If you've ever read Revelation, there's some crazy stuff in there, and we won't dive into that, but let's just, let's just skip to the end I don't understand what all the like the 100% what all the dragons and the insects and all everything is but here's what I do understand at the end Jesus says I am making all things new. Let's look at verse 1 if you have your Bible. Revelation 21 or your app. Revelation 21:1. Here's what Jesus shows John in the time where the church is getting ready to experience some great struggle. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. The first thing God shows John in this, this part of the revelation is he shows him a new heaven and a new earth is coming. And, and what this does for John and what this should do for our souls is it shouldn't scare us. Uh, maybe you grew up in church or you've read Revelation before and, and you're like, man, that's a scary book. I don't know if I want to be a part of all that because I don't understand it. But here's really good news. There's a new heaven and a new earth is coming. And that is good news if you're a believer in Christ. So that's the good news if you are here today and your heart is heavy and your soul is sick with everything that we see around us. Don't you just feel weighed down at times by your news feed? Much less your social media feed. I flipped through Facebook a little bit on Monday and I, and I like, I, I told David at the office, I'm like, I need to not look at this again for a long time. It's just depressing. See the people sharing what's going on and fighting back and forth. And then you read the news and hey, as good as it is that a vaccine is coming, like look around today. We're here in this state today because 
it's still spreading. People are getting sick and people are dying and people are fighting even about that. What is true and what's not true? And man, it just hurts your heart. It hurts your soul, right? And it should. It should, and that should be good news for you and me when we read this passage and it says, behold, I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming. It's not scary, it's encouraging because what he's describing isn't a throwing away. He's not saying, oh, I'm done with this, this earth and this creation and I'm tossing it away like in a waste, pasture bas- waste, waste paper basket and I'm starting off fresh and anew. It's a restoration like, like restoring a house where it says I, there's good bones there in that house. You know how he knew? Because he created it. There's good bones there underneath. And I need to come in and I need to make things new. I need to restore it. I need to, I need to do a thorough renovation and I need to come in and fix what has been made wrong. You see, this is what's unique about Christianity. Christianity is unique among all other beliefs in that it is both more pessimistic than anything that you could believe about this world and about humankind, but yet it's also more optimistic than anything you could ever believe or comprehend with your mind. It's more pessimistic. It says, this world, we can't fix it. We can't fix it. We have tried for thousands of years to fix it, and we can't do it. I can't fix myself, much less this world but yet it's more optimistic because it says, but God through Christ can make you new and can make and will make this world new, a new heaven and a new earth. Behold, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then he says something interesting. He said, and the sea was no more. Now, if you're a, a fisherman or a, you're a surfer, you might like, hey, I don't know if I want a part of that new heaven and new earth. And we don't 100% know what that, what that exactly means, if there will be no physical water in the new heaven and new earth. But here's what we think it means. That for the ancient world, uh, the, the sea was a place of danger. You couldn't control yourself on the sea and storms came in from the sea. There was a, it, it was a very difficult place to be, to live on the ocean or to go out on the sea. And here's what he's saying. He says, the sea was no more. That means that all that is rotten in the new heaven and the new earth is taken away. All that is threatening is done away with. Behold, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. In verse two, and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I say, what are you talking about Jerusalem? Well, here's what he's talking about. See, Jerusalem was supposed to be God's city in the ancient Near East. For it was there among God's people in God's precious city that the the temple was there. And that meant that God's presence was physically among Israel in the city of Jerusalem, on the temple mount, inside the temple, inside the Holy of Holies. It was a sign of God's presence and God's favor upon his chosen people. It was also a fortress. Jerusalem was a safe place. It was, uh, it was very hard to conquer. In Jerusalem, to be a part of Jerusalem, be in Jerusalem was to be a part of a place where there was safety. Not only that, but there in Jerusalem was the anointed king of God. 
He was enthroned there. Whatever king was over Israel or Judah was there. And it was a picture of God's righteous rule among his people out of the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was was supposed to be a city on a hill, literally. Jerusalem was up on the hill and the temple was up on the mount and it was supposed to showcase God's goodness to his people for all the nations to see. But it never lived up to what it was supposed to be. It never lived up to its promise, creation, fall. It never lived up to be what it was supposed to be, just like the rest of human existence. But here, at the end of all time, And the summation of all things, here's what John sees. He sees a new heaven and a new earth, and he sees the new Jerusalem coming down from God to earth. God's uniting heaven to earth. It's God's new people, the city of God, the place where God's people dwell, but it's different this time. It's different this time because it's coming down from God. It says that he's coming, New Jerusalem's coming down from God like a bride adorned for her husband. Now, he's mixing metaphors here and it can get kind of confusing, right? All right, there's a city and now it's a bride and now she's dressed and it's a she and I don't understand how to put all these together, but here's what it means. It means that coming down from God are God's people that he has adorned, that he has dressed that he has made white and pure. He has redeemed them himself, not redeemed by their own works. You see, you don't get right with God by your own works. For all the wrong that you've done in your life and all the wrong that you've done to God, you don't get right with him by fixing up yourself. You don't get right with God by doing good things because it can never undo what you and I have done. We don't need to do good things, though that is appointed for us once we're believers, but we don't need to do things to get right with God. We need simply for God to adorn us with his robes that are right, that are white. She is made to be beautiful, this new Jerusalem, this bride of Christ. She is adorned. The bride doesn't adorn herself. That's the picture, this Old Testament picture. Her family, her father would have provided everything that she needed in order to be dressed. And there'd be other people that would come and that would beautify her, put on her makeup and fix her hair and make her fix her adornments. She was made beautiful. And that's what God's new people are. Not made beautiful by our own effort, but made beautiful by the work of God, by the work of Christ. And here is the hope for our scared and hurting world. Here's the hope for all of us who are scared and hurting. The hope is not that we will get better. That's not God's message to you this morning. That's not God's message to the world this morning. That's not God's message through the baby Jesus, nor the risen Christ. Hey, see how great I am, now go try and do better and maybe you can get right with me. Go try and do better, and maybe I'll give you good things in return. Go try and do better, and maybe you'll have a part in my new Jerusalem. No. He says those that are part of the new Jerusalem are those that have been clothed by God. We will not find better leaders or better systems. We won't find a better, pre- a better president or a better governor. We're not gonna find a better system. Capitalism or socialism, We won't find a better one. Is it democracy? Is it Democrats? Is it Republicans? We won't find a better system that will fix what ails us at the core. It is only 
only Jesus Christ himself ruling among his people as the King of kings and Lord of lords that will make all things right. It won't be you keeping your New Year's resolutions that will finally make you right. 2021 won't finally get you to be the person that you want to be because you will never catch that golden ring. It will always be beyond your grasp. Our hope, our only hope, is to be made beautiful by God himself, not to make ourselves beautiful. Who is this bride adorned for her husband? Who is she? Well, Revelation 7, 13 and 14 tells us, then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And John said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. You feel your life as a tribulation? They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. That's the only way. How are we made clean? How are we brought into a right relationship with God? See, that's the real problem that we have is that we aren't in relationship with God. We don't know God. How are we made clean? By accepting Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. That I owed a debt to God that I could never repay except by death and eternal torment and yet Christ but God through Christ stepped in. Born as a baby in order to die. And died in order to rise again and rose again that you might be redeemed and restored if you place your faith and trust in him. How do you wash your robes clean in the blood of the lamb? It's simply by surrender and faith that he did it and you trust God, do that for me. Apply the work of Christ, apply his blood to my life that I might be cleansed. Make me new. That's the picture of the white robes. It's that they are new, they are made righteous and right and new before God and their robes because it's not in themselves, it covers them. Are you, here's a question this morning, are you trying to adorn yourself? Are you trying to make yourself right, make yourself righteous? Or have you washed your robe in the blood of the lamb? Do you try to cover yourself with good works and good deeds? Do you try to cover yourself with things that won't have you think about how hard life is or the things that you've done or the things that have been done to you? Or have you washed your robe in the blood of the lamb? And I heard a loud voice from the throne, verse three of chapter 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, man, this is the heart of the good news here. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. I'm gonna tell you, there is no two sentences that you can read that are more earth-shattering and life-shattering than that. Because every fiber of your being cries out for this because this is what you were made for. And everything that you have searched for with your life 
in your career or in friendships or in trying to be sexy or trying to be popular or trying to be wealthy, everything that you have chased with your life in order to try to find the meaning in life and happiness and joy that will, that will transcend everything is found here in these two sentences. And I heard a loud voice saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the core of our problem and it's the heart of our cure. The problem is that we don't know God. We are in a proper relationship with him. We, we have been severed from him between us and our world system has been severed from him by his righteous rule, by our rebellion. We were meant to dwell with him. We were meant to live under his righteous and loving rule and reign. But we, as human beings, have set ourselves against him. And this is the astonishing news of Christmas. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. That's what Christmas means. That's what, the, that's what it means. The, the baby in the manger is the beginning of God dwelling with man. He did not leave us alone and he did not leave you alone. In your darkness and in your sin and in your depravity and the things that have been done to you and your heartache and your soul, he did not leave you alone. He has come for you. And this is amazing. As Christians, this has already begun for us because God is in us. His Holy Spirit, whenever he makes us new, when we place that faith and trust in him, we place our pour ourselves out before him as he is our Lord and our Savior, Scripture tells us that his Holy Spirit dwells within us. He is in us and he dwells among us as Christians. He takes us, here's this wording in this phrase, I will, they will be my people and God himself will be with them. You know what that means? It means God himself takes responsibility for our lives. If you're a Christian this morning, God tells you the, the baby in the manger and his return again tells you that I, I have taken responsibility for your life. I am your Lord. That means I have responsibility for your life. It doesn't just mean that you bow to me, though you do. It doesn't just mean that you surrender to me, though you do. But in that, you exchange your control for my control and my control is way better than yours. You exchange your rule and reign for my rule and reign, and my rule and reign is far more righteous and far better and far more life-giving than yours could ever be. You're exchanging nothing in exchanging your rule for mine. I take full responsibility for you. Jesus said, don't worry. He closed the lilies of the field and he takes care of the sparrows, how much more will he take care of you? I have full responsibility, not just to care for you and give you your daily bread, but to take you through to the end. He takes full responsibility. You don't have to limp across the finish line or carry yourself to the end. He carries you. Do you view this as part of the good news? Jesus restores our broken hearts. Look at Revelation 21, four. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying 
nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Life is broken. Just this week I was thinking about all the bad things I've heard, not just outside and other people, but close to me. COVID, cancer, death, marriages. There's always so much heartache in life. There always is. And yet this year we feel it even more strongly than usual. And the question is, what do you do with your heartache? What do you do with a broken heart? Where do you take your mourning? Where do you take your tears? Where do you take your pain? You got to take it somewhere. Maybe you've lived long enough to realize that you can't handle your own tears and pain and mourning. We take it somewhere. We find something or someone or, that will try to help us carry this burden, carry this load. We try to find something or someone that will dry my tears or I try to dry them myself. Have you ever fed a baby and like they're, they're eating and they, they get, because they're so messy and they get something in their eye and then they try to, to wipe their eye out and they've got more stuff on their hand and the more they wipe their eye, the more it just gets gooped up in their eye, the, more, the worse things get. That's what most of us are like when we try to wipe our own tears. We're just smearing the problem around. We take it, we try to be strong or we try to get people around us who will try to distract us from our tears or ease our mourning and ease our pain or we turn to substances or issues or, or we try to focus on other things. But the Lord bids you to come to him because only he can wipe away every tear from your eye and cause death to be no more. Only he can take away mourning and crying and pain. All he says this morning is give up your self-help schemes. Give up your self-improvement plans and come to me. He said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden for I will give you rest. Through Christ, you will find God's smiling face to look upon you. Through Christ, you will find his rule and his peace. Through Christ, you will find an inheritance given to you as a son or daughter of the king. In Christ, you will find the true treasure of your life because that's the true treasure of eternity. It's not just that there's going to be a feast and there's going to be plenty to eat and things are going to be great and we'll be laughing and we will, there won't be pain. You know why we'll be laughing and there won't be pain and there'll be a feast? Because God is there. He's the true treasure of eternity, not the lack of pain. It's his presence that makes all things right. It's Jesus who restores our broken world. Look at verse five. And he who is seated on the throne, that's the Lord, said this, 
Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, write this down. He's saying, remember this. For these words are trustworthy and true. You can bank on it. These are the only words you can bank on. Your spouse, your lover, your mom, your dad, your children, your president, your elected officials, your best friend, they will all let you down. They will all tell you things that are not true and will not work out, even if they have the best intentions. But the one who holds the world and eternity in his hand says, Behold, I am making all things new and you can bank on this. Notice he doesn't say, though, I will make all things new. He says, I am making all things new. Even now he's doing it. He's doing it in believers and through believers He's doing it as he makes us individually new. As more and more people see him for who he is and place their faith and trust upon him and are born again. That's the language Jesus used about what it meant to place your faith and trust in him. It says you are born again by the spirit of God in you. And then as believers, he is continually making us new. He is growing us. We aren't all changed in an instant. Uh, The core of who we are is changed, but we are gradually changed from glory to glory, from faith to faith. And he is making all things new through us as we, like little Jesus, as followers of Christ, as we live the life that he's called us to live and we have little effects upon the world around us. Little effects in our, in our workplaces and in our homes and as parents and as spouses and as friends and as coworkers and as bosses and as citizens and as doctors and lawyers and nurses and clerks and every kind of role that you can think of. In all our little spheres, we're making little changes and he is slowly in little ways making all things new around us and through us because he's making us new within and therefore it flows out of us and he's doing that around us. So what do we do with this? All right, Randy, what do I do? What do I go home and do with this? Well, here's what you do. Both here and go home, you worship him. Because he's making all things new. And if you are a believer in Christ, he has made you new and he will make you new and he'll take you through to the ends. And you worship him. By definition, worshiping him means that you look at him and it means that you are looking away from everything around you that would say otherwise. Everything around you that says, find hope here. Cover yourself here. Adorn yourself with this. Find comfort here. Dry your tears this way. No, we worship him. We worship him in our tears and we worship him in our mourning and we worship him in our pain. And in that, we find a power to make it through those moments and we know that that power is a foretaste, is an appetizer, that he will return. This saying is trustworthy and true. And he is making all things new.
and he will make all things new. The baby in the manger is the down payment for that. That's the first advent. He's coming again. What else do you do? We participate in this restoration. We participate in him making all things new by declaring the good news, not of us, but that he has come, he has come, and he is making all things new, and we invite people, come jump on this train. I am no better than you are. I have done nothing to deserve. I, am, I was clothed in the same filthy rags that you're clothed in, but he has clothed me. Come and be rowed by him. And I think lastly, what we do is at this Christmas season, we do what needs to be done in order to order our lives as if a a full restoration is coming in Jesus' second advent. In other words, you live like he's coming again. What changes do you need to make today in order to live as if he's coming again? Not in fear, but in confidence and hope and trust. That's the true message of Christmas. God is making all things new through the God-man, Jesus Christ. He isn't a baby in a stable any longer. He is the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And he is making all things new. So let's worship him together. We're going to sing together to close out the service. And if you're watching from home, it might be awkward, but find whatever way you need to do to worship him. Stand up, close your eyes, bow down. If you're here, same thing. And part of the way that we're going to worship him is we're going to open up communion this morning. Because the lamb who was slain, the broken body and the shed blood of Christ, is our assurance that it will be completed. There's going to be today, it'll be a little bit different. There won't be the stations on the outside. There'll be one station here in the middle. You can come up to the middle and you can go back out from the outside. Let's worship the one who has come and will come again. Father, we thank you that is true. Father, I pray you would stir our hearts with worship this morning. We don't adorn ourselves, you adorn us. God, you could have left us to ourselves. But you came to dry every tear and do away with all mourning. You pray you would show us that this morning, we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you'd like to have somebody pray with you, I'd be up here at the front during communion. If you're a believer in Christ, we welcome you to come. If you're not a believer, I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you'd like to know what it means to be a Christian. I'd love to talk with you or grab somebody beside you that'd like to talk to you as well. Um, Come as you see fit.